we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting with verse 1 to verse 11. Uh, in a minute, I'll tell you when to put it up, but just be ready, Rakis. John, Gospel of John, chapter 2, 1 through 11. <clears throat> I got to be honest with you. The, I heard a sermon from this, uh, this chapter. And it was by a speaker that I like a lot. And uh, wasn't overwhelmed with uh, the impact or wasn't impacted by it that much. And I decided uh, about 10 days ago to, or you know, 10 days ago, to revisit it, you know, myself, the sermon. And I was very much moved by it and then realized that I was missing a couple of things before. And then I would listen to it again and again and again and again and again and each time I was moved more and was excited about what I would call the revelation that came from the message and uh, I just pray that, that you can, you'll get that right now from the Lord. That the Lord will open your eyes and your ears to, if you can just get a taste of, of what I have received from this, this message. It was by Tim Keller, by the way. Uh, I do love to, I loved Tim Keller's preaching. And so uh, this is interesting because if you know, I've been talking about uh, loving the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And in order to be able to reach out for that. Now, I, you'll never achieve that. But you can believe to achieve it. And you can reach for that. You can press toward. Paul said this, I count not myself to have apprehended that which I am apprehended for. A very important, very important distinction there. I haven't got it. I don't have it. I talk about seeking the face of God. You know, uh, Jacob said that he had seen the face of God and lived. Moses, God told Moses if he saw his face, he, wouldn't, he couldn't live. And uh, is Jacob mistaken? Well, Jacob saw a face, and it was an angel, but it was an angel representing God with a message. And uh, the psalmist says that I may seek your face. Now it says, never I shall never be like him completely until I see him face to face. That's that's what it says in the scripture. Um, you know, uh, in the love chapter, it talks about when we see him, we shall be like him. But we can seek his face now and believe to see his face. But like the psalmist says this, I, or Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended that 
which I am apprehended for. So the real issue isn't whether or not you can uh, reach God. The real issue is, has he reached you? You know. And uh, there was a T-shirt that they used to sell at at um, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And the T-shirt had a picture of a dove carrying in his talons uh, a person. And this and the T-shirt said, "Have you apprehended the Holy Spirit?" Or has the Holy Spirit apprehended you? And the point was making, you can never apprehend to any degree beyond what you know you have been apprehended for. In other words, the more you know what you've been apprehended for, the closer you can get. You see? So Paul says, I have not counted, but he says, but I, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And then the, he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. But that's part of the package. So we pray for the presence of God in our lives. And believe for it. And reach for it. And press toward it. But some, we know we'll never completely receive it until we see him face to face. And He's coming. He's coming. So uh, I've been talking about the last days of Jesus on the earth. The week before and the week week following up into his crucifixion. And when I was revisiting this uh, section on uh, John, the second chapter... I realized that uh, this had some characteristics that the last thing that he does. Do you understand what I mean? It has some, some uh, comparisons that are very close. In other words, in John chapter 2, what the Bible is talking about there is the is beginning of his ministry. In Matthew 21 and 22 and John 14 through 17 is towards the end of his earthly ministry. And there's some very close comparisons there. And so to see this and to see it with our spiritual eyes and our eyes opened, you know, in Psalm 119, he says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. And so we pray that, that God would open our eyes, that we may see wondrous things out of his word. And I just pray that you can get what's taken me longer to get. But I've really been blessed listening to this. And the more I listen to it, the more I get blessed, the more I listen to the sermon. But it's on, it's about the very first miracle that Jesus does. So let's read that. John chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now the third day was a a marriage in Canaan. Now for for starters, when they had marriages in the Bible, they uh, most often time would happen a week 
Seven, seven days. In other words, the celebration of the marriage was part of the covenant that would be made. And part of the ceremony was the celebration. Even so, it's supposed to be today. The celebration is supposed to be part of the covenant package. Even the wedding cake. I, I counsel people when I do weddings. Uh, I counsel people that uh, when I go to a wedding that I do not officiate. And at the ceremony or at the uh, uh, reception, when it comes to the wedding cake and the bridegroom smashes it into his bride's face. If I have not officiated the wedding, I will cringe. I mean, I don't like that under any circumstances. What a way to start off the wedding by humiliating your wife. You know. But if I have officiated and tell you what I am now telling you, I'm talking to the couple. I'll get up and walk out. Because how dare you disgrace and, uh, and be irreverent towards part of the ceremony, which is like the, f- the first official co- uh, breaking of bread. It's like communion. And for that to happen, yes. Yes. And I have to tell you, I think that it's because marriage is not looked at the way it's supposed to be anymore. It's more like a party. That's right. You're right. You're right. That's true. It's not looked at. But it's part of the covenant. Now, speaking of a wedding, you know, John and Ruth are getting married today. They didn't invite everybody because, quite frankly, they're not, there isn't the room to invite it. And they wanted to keep it in a small setting anyways. So it's going to be at, uh, at, you know, if you've ever been to the Roost at Brooks, that's where the wedding is going to be. And then the celebration is going to be there as well. I, oddly enough, I did not even think about that when I was preparing to preach this sermon, which is on a, about a wedding. All right. But it says the third day comes along. And like I said, they frequently would take place for seven days, seven days of celebration for a wedding celebration. And the whole town usually was invited. And it was invited usually in a place where they could all be at the same time. And then it says the third day was uh, there was a marriage in Canaan at Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And so they were invited. They were in town and they were invited to the marriage. He says, and when they had wanted, uh, when they had wanted wine, the mother of Jesus, uh, some translations, when the wine had failed, basically when they ran out of wine. Now, I'm going to tell you, just be honest with you right up front. This is, um, um, 
I've heard sermons how this is not alcohol, not, it was just grape juice. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. But I have, I don't drink at all. I just, I'm not a, I'm a teetotaler, you know. I may taste a sip of wine. I don't have a problem. I'm not under any kind of bondage. Uh, I used to be a heavy drinker. So I just soon leave it entirely alone. But having been a heavy drinker, and I'm just expressing my own personal opinion here, this is alcohol. This is not grape juice. I've never, I've been to a lot of parties, and I know beyond a doubt, beyond all doubt, for my own personal opinion, again, it's my personal opinion, but I know beyond any doubt in my mind, that I've never been to a party that had grape juice and tend to panic if we ran out of grape juice. Most people I could care, could care less if they ran out of grape juice. It would not ruin the party. In this particular case, it's ruining the party. All right? Especially, I would never been to a place that had grape juice, ran out of grape juice, so somebody made grape juice. And the person's going to say, wow, most people give you the good grape juice first. And after you have well drunk grape juice then they'll give you the lousy grape juice second. No, that isn't the way it works. I mean, I I used to like hard liquor, but I also, by the way, hard liquor is not for kings. That's what it says. Proverbs 31. Lemuel's, King Lemuel's mother told him, says, Kings don't need hard liquor. They need to keep their judgment. And we're kings. So just saying. Just saying. And uh, I'm going to tell you though. I, 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 I did would drink beer a lot. Several cases as a matter of fact. A night. And I, I would always start off with the beer I liked. And by the time I got through. I didn't care what kind of beer it was. And so this is what this, uh, this guy is going to say. You know, most people give you the good stuff first. And then after you have well drunk, I, I just can't see that being grape juice. I just can't. I don't believe it. And, and it's not spoiling the party. And when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no, have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Leave that up for a second there. I'll tell you when to go. There is a usage of this language, my hour. Some translation says my time. But there's frequently used in the Gospels, my hour. And it was always referring up to 
when he was going to be crucified. So when he says, my hour is not yet come, he is not talking about what most... I, I, I dare to think that when you read this, if you've read this before, you probably, maybe, probably, thought the same thing I thought was... I'm not ready to do a miracle here. Why are you pressing me on this? That's what I thought. I've come to understand that that's not even, that's not it at all. That what he was probably doing at this particular point, and by the way, we're going to read a lot into this because a lot should be read into the Bible, not changing anything, but understanding why? Remember what Jesus says, I'm going to come to you speaking in parables, metaphors, you know, figuratively speaking. Using things of this world to communicate the things of the Spirit. Matter of fact, that's what it says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. It says, first the spirit, spirit, first the physical, then the Spirit. So much of uh, what is in the natural is used to explain spiritual things. And many of the things that Jesus did, there were double meanings in them, in that it was a physical thing which represented a spiritual thing as well. And so this entire situation and uh, uh, event is going to be a, a metaphor. Now, this is the first miracle. You would not believe, you would not, a natural person, if they were going to write uh, the uh, biography of, of, of a great man, or if a great man was going to uh, want something in his biography, he would start the first miracle off in Jesus' case as being something like raising somebody from the dead because you want something that's quintessential. You want something that's going to quite essentially represent what the whole thing is going to be like. So you want something really big. A miracle that's going to take place at basically a, a social embarrassment you see, would be kind of absurd in the natural man. But Jesus wasn't a natural man. Jesus was a man, fully man, God, fully God. And you've got to understand something that he's going to say, he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? And then the next verse says, Jesus saith unto, oh, next verse, please. <laughs> He's getting so interested in the sermon, you forgot I said that. Cool, yeah. He's like, yeah, waiting. His mother said unto him, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Right. She just kind of ignores what he said, because, see, that was not, he was not saying, I don't want to do it. Oh, it, it, it would, the way I would re- read it the first time, it was like, I don't want to do a miracle right now. It's not time for me to start. My hour has not yet come. 
You see, that, is that the way you first read it when you first read it? Yeah, that's, that's me. And, uh, but the thing of it is, is if you believe in the sovereignty of God, how many of you believe in the sovereignty of God? Now, see, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I just like one way one person plays it. He doesn't play both sides of the chessboard at the same time, but he wins. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. He works all things to our good. Anything bad happens to you, it's the devil. But God turns it, can turn it. And so if we believe in that God is in control here, then how much more was he in control of the life of his son, Jesus Christ? And how much more did Jesus said, I come to do his will? Amen? And so you just can't believe that what Jesus is saying, you can't put Jesus in, in the same kind of box that we, we are in. In as much as you can't say that Jesus says, woman, I'm not ready to do a miracle right now. Oh, well, okay. No, that's not what's happening here. See, what was happening here is his mind was elsewhere at the time. And when she comes up into him and says, we're out of wine. Well, he was probably thinking about his own marriage. A lot like we would, might think if we were at a wedding and we were single. We might be thinking about what's to come. And he was thinking about what he was going to have to do so that for his bride to be. Amen. And I was just reading Revelation quite a bit. In the last two chapters and other places mentions a lot about his bride. You know, I went to a, uh, a conference about 40 years ago in Kingston. And uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the brothers that were both pastors that put this conference on. But it was a pretty big, it was a room filled with pastors for four pastors. And it was taken, it was talking about the birth that goes on in Revelation. And what they were saying was this birth is going to be, uh, well, if you recall about a year ago at this time, maybe longer, uh, maybe not so long, um, that there was a big talk about the constellation Virgo passing over uh, Israel. And while the constellation is passing over, you know, the earth's turning in the constellation, that there was going to be Jupiter, which is the largest star, you know. It's not a star, it's a planet. Was going to appear to come, come was going to look up in the sky. It was going to, you know, Virgo means virgin. The, the constellation Virgo means virgin. And Jupiter was going to come over and pass right through the womb of Virgo. 
and it was going to be like a virgin birth. And at Kingston, they were talking about how 40 years ago, they were talking about how that's going to be the birth, a sign in heaven about the birth of the church. Right Now, we are uh, have been birthed a long time ago, but it'd be a sign that this is, this is coming. Well, this, this thing that, passed, that Jupiter passed through just passed through about a year ago. And it was supposed to be a sign of something. And there was a lot of people thought that something big was coming right down the pike. <clears throat> now, some of you know this story, and some of you don't, though. But Rick and I was going to Albany one day, and we usually stop off and get a sandwich at McDonald's. And uh, just to tide us over. And then we get on 88, going to Albany, right there at the McDonald's, where McDonald's is, right down the road from it. So, I don't know, I just slipped my mind and I went right past McDonald's and turned left. And I went down, make a right on 88, and there was a guy hitchhiking. And he was right there. And I pulled over, it, 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 like I made a I made decision to pick him up before I saw him. It was so fast, I just, was instant. And I pulled right over. And he goes and he gets in the car, and he throws his backpack in. And I'm looking at him in my rearview mirror. And I'm thinking, man, this guy looks like pristine, perfect. He looked like he was a hiker and a literally mountain-like hiker, mountain boots. And, but he looked like he just came, got everything out of the laundry and fresh pressed and everything. And it was all brand new and it's perfect. You know, this perfect beard and this, uh, everything was perfect about him. I was just like, there's not a flaw in this guy's body, you know, uh, or on his dress, face or anything. I, I, I noticed that right away. I was like, Wow. And so uh, Rick said, we're going to talk to him about the Lord. You know, that's one reason I thought I was going to pick him up so soon, you know. So we, Rick says, uh, he likes to, says, my friend here is a pastor. Likes to see that kind of opens up the door to talk about the Lord, you know. And no sooner did he say that. And, he's, and, he, and he just starts off, he says, do you guys know about the virgin birth that's about to happen in the heavens? Well, I had heard about it, but I can't, I got to admit, admit, I wasn't that gung-ho, gung-ho, well, that was a slip, gung-ho about it, you know. Uh, and he says, yeah, it's about to take place next week, I believe is what he said. And I said, gee, I wonder how he knows about it. But we didn't get much word in edgewise, you know. He started saying, you know, I'm not so much interested in Jesus as the Son of God. I'm more interested in Jesus as the Son of Man. I don't think I've ever had a conversation start off like that in my life, but that was interesting. And he says, you'll find it talked about in such and such chapters in the Gospels. Like five chapters he made mention where it talks about Jesus as the son of man. And I find that. And he says, yeah, I'm really interested in this virgin birth. I don't know if you are or not. 
said, I don't know. You know, I wasn't before, but I am now. <laughs> it was, you know, just shortly before Jill passed away. And when we came back, we shared this story with Clark and Jill in Skenevis. And uh, uh, that was, and she passed away uh, a little while after that. And so anyway, he goes on to talk about things and, and everything. And uh, finally, I said, well, we're going to stop up here at uh, the pilot station. And, uh, you know, he says, well, I'm going to get out there. And uh, I don't know all the things that happened, but I, I just thought it was kind of strange conversation. What was it? Yes. What, what did I forget? Oh, that's right. His name was John, but his real name was Jonathan. And I said, well, that's interesting because they're they're two different names, two different meanings. I said, John means God is good and Jonathan means gift of God. And he says, I take both of those meanings. (laughs) No, yeah, I, I, yeah. And so anyway, he gets out of the car and he starts, you know, I don't know, Rick got out for some reason. I don't remember what you got out for. But he reaches back in to get his backpack and he looks at me in the rearview mirror and he says, remember me this day. Remember this day and of me on your journey with the Lord. Ooh. That's a little scary. And I know I was thinking about back in this thing with the virgin birth and everything in the in the heavens and, and them saying that it was a sign. And I was thinking a sign of the church coming alive, maybe. And uh, that generation is almost up. Maybe it's time the church came alive. You know, it's like being born again, again. <laughs> Yes. The other part was he got out there at the pilot because we were going going to go forward into Albany. That's right. But he was on his way to Vermont to visit. I I thought it was Maine. Oh, maybe Maine. I thought it was Maine. But he's, in other words, he was going a different direction. Yeah. Going to visit his His mother. His mother. Whom he hadn't seen in like ten years. Yeah. Because he'd been out here. All around the country, getting rides and telling people about the Lord. <laughs> yeah, amen. So anyways, um, I know there was a reason. I, I, was, I had a reason for going that, that, on that tangent. It'll come back to me in a minute. And so anyway, Jesus is not saying, oh woman... Um, you know, it's not time for me to show myself. Oh, all right, I'll do it. No, what he's saying there is he was he was often thinking about probably about his wedding. If you read Revelation, there's so much in there about the wedding. 
And so this is what's happening here is this whole thing is a story. Yes, it happened. It literally happened. But it was part of God's plan. It's part of Jesus' plan. And it says, And there was, six, there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews. If you don't think this is about something else, right there there's an there's a indication. Six pots full of water that were used for washing for the purification before they would go into uh, certain festivals and temples. Six pots of water that washed you symbolically clean from your sins, which Jesus is now going to make into wine, which Jesus also says uh, this wine at the Passover is my blood washing you. And then Kenyon washes us washes the bride with the washing of the water by the word. And so, you know, it's, it's also interesting that Moses brought a curse on Israel and he turned water into blood. And people were dying of, of, going, of thirst because they couldn't drink blood. But Jesus says, you drink my blood and you'll have life. You see... Jesus turns wine into blood and instead of you dying of thirst, you never have to thirst again. Amen. Just see the distinctions here and the amazing coincidence. And there were six, there are six pots. This is containing two or three firkins apiece. Two or three. A firkin is nine gallons of water. And it says two or three. So that's either 18 or 27 Gallons of water. Uh, you know, and he's, and he's got, so there's six of them. And he's going to make it all wine. And here's another thing. It says, now let's go on. Let's go on. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water, parts with, water pots with water. And they were filled up to the brim. And he saith unto them, that's, that's going to be like about 160 to 170 gallons of water. Draw out nine, bear unto the governor of the feast. That word governor means the, the, the master of ceremony of the feast. The one that was in charge. Not just, you know, the, a guy at a, a wedding or the reception when you go to. This is a seven day in event. And now the governor of the feast is, would be embarrassed. He's got a social embarrassment that he failed to take care of what was needed to take care of to celebrate this day. So what you have here is another symbolism there. Uh, it's it's it, that the governor is now going to even say himself that the wine uh, is better, better than anything we've ever had before. And it's, it, 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 there, you know who the governor of the feast, the master of the feast is of the feast we're going to have take place? There's a verse in scripture or a verse in John even that says uh, that the feast is going, that, that heaven is a feast. Heaven is a feast. But there's other verses that says 
the feast that's going to take place at our wedding is going to be seven years long. That's why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's not just preparing a place for us. He's praying for, preparing for a major celebration. Oh boy, this is going to be something. But just as he's going to be the master, but just as he saves the masters from him, uh, of, the, of the feast, a ceremony saves him from embarrassment, it's like we get the credit for what he did. He got the credit for what he did. And what did, what did Mary say to him? Mary says, come on now, you, you, you don't mind doing this miracle for me. No, she knew he was thinking about something else. My hour is not yet coming. He, she knew he wasn't taking, talking about now. And so what did he say? Do whatever he says. You want to see, you want to have a feast with God? Do whatever he says. Do what he says. And it says, draw out now and bear the governor of the feast. And they bore it. They bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew from, he didn't know from whence it came, but the servants had drawn the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he saith unto him, the bridegroom. Notice he calls the bridegroom. Because Jesus is the bridegroom. And you find that reference all through Revelation. That we're the bride. You find it, of course, in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about, uh, For this cause shall a man leave and be joined to his wife. But I'm speaking about a great mystery because I'm talking about Christ and his church. Now this is so important right here. Because he's, he's, he's talking about the bridegroom and Jesus is the bridegroom. And he, it's going to be the bridegroom in the future. And what he is starting off his ministry as, you know, he's not starting it off with some walking on water. He's not starting it off by raising somebody from the dead. He's not starting off by healing some sick person or some great uh, miracle. He's starting it off by making water into wine. Why? Because that's what it's all about. That's why he's come. Remember I said, I I never saw the connection that how he begins is how it's going to end. You see. Matthew 21, 22, John 14 through 17, all about the last week. This is the first week and it's deliberate. It's something God has done deliberately. It's something that Jesus is part of deliberately. It's all part of it. All part of a bigger plan. It's a picture. It's a parable. It's a metaphor. Literally happened, but figuratively, it represents our life. And so how important it is. How important. Now, here's, here's the thing. There are many physical things in life that God uses to convey to us our, a relationship with him. He says he's a king. We're his subjects. He says he's a shepherd. We're his sheep. (laughs) 
He says he's a potter. We're the lump of clay. We, this, this conveys a connection that we have with God. He says we're soldiers in an army. He's the general. You see, he's the master. He's the captain. He's the captain of our soul. There are many, many metaphors. One I shared with you three weeks ago. It's in Song of Solomon. He's our bridegroom. And we're his bride. All of those give some understanding of what our relationship is with God. He's bought us with a price. We're his property. We're his prisoners. He has led captivity captive. There are many others, but there's a special one about a relationship between a husband and his wife. A bridegroom and a bride. And that's what he's starting off with there. I've come to give you that new revelation of what kind of a relationship with God wants to happen with you. Why wine? Well, because there are, there are other things that express uh, our relationship with God that dis, uh, uh, challenges, uh, maybe that's not the right word, but they're experiential and they challenge our, uh, they're sensory, you see. Drinking wine is a sensory thing. If you've ever been to a party and you really had a lot of wine, it's a sensory thing. Well, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know how to drink the new wine? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You see. You don't put old wine in. in uh, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You put new wine. New wine. The Holy Ghost is called new wine. You see. Taste and see the Lord is good. That's a verse of scripture I'm really hanging on, you know. Because God is something, he isn't something just to, to love and to cherish, but he's someone that he wants you to experience. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. He wants you to know him, but he doesn't want you to just know him. He wants you to know him like a bridegroom and a bride. Special intimacy with God. Uh, it's spiritual intimacy. But they give, he gives you a sensory, it gives you a sensory exp- uh, uh, language that we can identify with on earth. Like taste and see the Lord is good. If so be that we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know. When he, you know, the psalmist said, taste and see, that's in Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see the Lord is good. Did you know the, we know, how many of you know the Lord is good? Well, maybe some of you need to know that. But what about tasting it? See, there's, it, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond uh, just knowing that the Lord is good. He wants you to know him, but he wants you to experience him. See? He wants you to seek his face. 
I think, in my opinion, again, talking about secular songs, one of the greatest love songs, top five love songs of uh, the 20th century, pop songs, is sung by Roberta Flack. And Roberta Flack uh, was, is a Christian. And uh, she got started in singing in church. And uh, just that's just a side issue. But she sings this song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. I saw the sun rise in your eyes. And it goes, uh, first time ever I saw your face. I saw the sun rise in your eyes. And the moon and the stars were the gifts you gave. To a dark and empty sky, my love. To a dark and empty sky. And I thought when I heard that, I says, that's the way I feel about the Lord. First time ever I saw his face. Saw the sun rise in his eyes. And the moon and the stars were the gifts he gave. For the dark and empty sky. God wants to have closeness with you. A love relationship with you. Yes, as a father loves children, his children, absolutely. He is our father, we are his children. As a shepherd loves his sheep, we are sheep. Yes. There are many metaphors. But none is so important as the bridegroom and a bride. Wow. That's why this is the first miracle. If you're still wondering, verse 11. Verse 11. 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory. You see, it was deliberate. It was on purpose. It was for us. What beautiful way to start. Not by doing something fantastic, but doing something to show us something even greater. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this uh, message. I pray that uh, my delivery and, and communication was adequate, that people would see, and I hope, I hope with all my heart, that they would see what I was 
what I got from listening to it myself. Thank you for it, Lord. And thank you for the wedding today. May they be truly, may truly be what you said, Heavenly Father, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. For this cause shall a man be joined to his wife. But I'm really talking about a great mystery. I'm talking about Christ and his church. Hallelujah. May they truly see that that's the purpose of marriage. May we all that are married truly see that that's what it's all about. In Jesus' name, amen.